No, it's good to see everybody. Say good morning to your neighbor. Good morning. And look to your neighbor and say, my gosh, is it a little warm in here? <laughs> Scott's, yeah. like, this is Scott's like, this is beautiful. A little moist. They have a, this, this big, comfy, big old sweatshirt in the front of it says, and yes, I'm still cold. That's Scott. Yeah. So if we could only find a way to put cheese on cold, that would be perfect for Scott right there, the combination. <laughs> Well, we're so glad to see you. We're glad to see everybody who's joining us online this morning. Uh, it is Communion Sunday, so if uh, you didn't grab one of the little uh, cups of Communion, um, you can feel free to, to walk back or we'll be able to pass them out if you uh, manage not to grab one on your way in. So we're going we're gonna to pray and then have some time of, of music where we worship with uh, song and... Um, see what the Holy Spirit's doing, and then we're going to have a message. Pastor Brent's going to bring the message today in our second week of uh, Titus, and um, yeah, right around the corner, it's going to be uh, next week is Thanksgiving, believe it or not, and uh, then we're going to head right into Advent. Advent this year is early. Uh, It's early by a week, so... um, that weekend starting after Thanksgiving will be our first week in Advent. So no slowing down, no slowing down. So Father, we thank you and we give you all the praise and the glory this morning. We thank you for the times in our life that we stand on the mountain and we shout because things are just in that place for us. But we also thank you, God, for the times that we feel like we're in the valleys and we're looking up and the challenges are set before us. Maybe the unknown or maybe the challenge is right with us. But we thank you that you're a God that walks with us in both ways. And that you're a God that walks with us even when we have very little to give. You make up for the things that we lack. And that's an amazing trait for you. That you ask for all of us. But in doing so, you ask for just all that we can give. And that's amazing. Be with us this morning as we uh, lift up your name, um, change our hearts, open our ears and our eyes to see what you're doing this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So if you feel like getting to your feet to stand or whatever posture of worship you're going to do, mind your neighbor and uh, we will... um, We'll begin.
The splendor of the King, glory and majesty, and let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice, He wraps Himself. Trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God, sing me how great. How great.
Just you. How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? And all will see how great, how great is our
now give him the praise and the glory yeah if that's who he is to you that's like we can't praise him enough amen 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 
even when. You better get up here. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Bring it on. Amen. Yep. Has one more round in her. I don't know. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you to the Vineyard Community Church. We are so glad that you could join us here um, at the Vineyard and all of you at home. Our service today is streaming live on Facebook. Also, we'll be sharing communion following these announcements. For those of you at home, grab a cup and some bread or a cracker so that you can join us. Today we will continue our sermon series on the book of Titus. Pastor Brent Paulson's message today is called Making Jesus Attractive, Hmm. found in Titus 2. I didn't know he needed that, but grab your Bible or cell to look up today's text or follow along in your bulletin, on your laptop. Um... Today is Name Tag Sunday. We invite you to wear a name tag and take a moment to meet someone that you do not know. We want to extend many, 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 many thanks to all who helped decorate the church for Christmas. Isn't it beautiful? Let's give them a round of applause. And we're not going to like turn everything on, like flip the magic switch until next week as we begin Advent. So you can see everything unlit up. Still beautiful. And now, drum roll. Thank you. Our grand total of Operation Christmas Child Boxes this year is 27. Thank you to all who participated in this outreach. This Wednesday, especially Kathy O'Brien. <laughs> For organizing that. Thank you, Kathy. This Wednesday is November 26th. Is our thanks? No, 23rd. I'm sorry. I'm just reading. Uh, November 23rd. It's 22nd. Yeah, we're confused this morning. Well, we can have pie today, too, but um, the 22nd is this Wednesday. We will have our annual Thanksgiving service and pie fellowship. Come for service and bring a dessert to share afterwards. And that will be from 7.30, I mean, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Um, our final CFK team meeting with pizza lunch is next Sunday, <laughs> November 26th. <laughs> That's right. From 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. All volunteers, please attend And if you ordered a shirt, you will need to have your money then for Janice. Um, I don't see her here, but she'll need that. Uh, At this time, Brent and Teresa will lead us in communion. If you did not receive a communion cup when you came in, please raise your hand. And for those of you at home, again, grab your cup and bread and join in. Good morning. Those of you here and those of you online, if you're online, you can grab a cup and some bread or 
I'm not sure if you can use coffee and toast. Is that like, I don't know. But um, anyway, uh, we're going to be celebrating communion, which is something Jesus instituted for all of us. And um, it's, it's to do, not just, it's not just a symbol, it's more than that. One of my seminary teachers once said, it's kind of like the difference between a stop sign and a railroad sign that comes down. So it has, there's an impact in it, there's a power in it, there's the presence of Christ in it. Um, and so when we do this, when we share this, it's also a great, I mean, it just focuses us back on what, what this is all about and who we are, that we are broken and we are people that need a Savior, and who He is, that He's kind and loving and is our Savior. And he invites us all to a big feast. And if you don't know him this morning and you're sitting there going, I don't know if I should have communion or not. If you're from another church, you're welcome to join us. We don't um, discriminate uh, based on, you know, denomination or whatever. Um, And if you're here this morning for the first time and you want to know who Jesus is, we invite you to, to just say, Jesus, come into me. Enter in. So, with that, I'm going to ask my... You know, I just hate it when people say lovely wife, because I just think, well, do they have, like, an ugly wife somewhere? I I get that. Mm. Notice how I had to put it down, like, two feet? (laughs) Oh, gosh, you know, communion is often such a somber time. When I was thinking about this last night, I was thinking... To me, communion is a celebration, really. We cel- it's a time where we celebrate what God, the great things that God has done for us and the, the, just the wonderfulness of, of us being able to receive that. Um, I was looking over Titus 2, which is what Brent's going to be speaking on today in the sermon, and there's this passage, and you'll find it in your bulletin. Actually, it's part; it's three of the verses in the middle of your passage in your bulletin, if you want to look. And it says this, God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation's available for everyone. We're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. This new life is starting right now, and it's whetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us a people he can be proud of energetic in goodness. And I just think that, you know, every, every word that we speak that's maybe a little off, every action that we've ever done that isn't in line with what God would have for us, all those things, he took in his hands and he took them to the cross with him. And he paid the sacrifice for us. And that's what we celebrate today. We celebrate that. So, there was this day, a long time ago, about 2,000 years really, and Jesus was sitting with his disciples having a meal. We often call it, we usually call it the Last Supper. And he interrupts the meals, this meal, and all the conversations that are going on, and he says, guys, 
I want, this is important, I want you to do this and remember me and what I'm going to be doing for you. This, this piece of bread, and if you want to get your little, cool little wafers out, this piece of bread is a representation of my body that is going to be broken for you. And every time you eat of it, I want you to remember that. Jesus even had gluten free. <laughs> then he picks up the cup, picks up his cup, and he said, This is a representation of the new covenant that my blood will be shed for you. So we take your cup together. And now we celebrate. challenged as Teresa is. There we go. We do. <clears throat> so as a part of our offering today, um, I'm going to read Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. <clears throat> Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room in the storehouse to store it. And I also wanted to read um, Matthew 12, 41 to 44, the widow's offering. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put everything she had, uh, put in everything she had to live on. So uh, we have a small table in the back for offerings. Um, but next week we're going to begin... Um, taking offering during the service, like we did um, kind of pre-COVID. And there are a few reasons for this, but we just want to, um, in, the, in the actual week-to-week um, -week offerings that we take in, um, is again in the bulletin again. We've been a little short, and um, just realistically, you know, there's no price that we can put on, on our gift of salvation that Jesus gave us. It was free. So there's no price that we can put on that. And he also says, you know, to test him and outgive him um, and see how that, you know, see what will happen. He will just like pour it on, pour it over us. And so um, I just really just want to encourage you um, to be mindful of that. You know, if nothing else, that's how we um, give back to even our pastors. That's their paycheck. 
So we want to make sure that we meet um, meet our budget, meet our payroll, um, and again, we can't outgive them. Um, and just a little personal testimony, you know, most of you know I've been out of work since August, um, and I've actually uh, been tithing on my unemployment. Not a whole lot, but I don't have one bill that's due, overdue. My mortgage is paid. Um, got groceries in the fridge. You know, I mean, God is just, he's being faithful and taking care of me. Um, out of my weakness, um, you know, he's just just making sure that I'm okay. So, yeah, things are, things are not perfect, um, and I'd much rather be working, but he's showing me that it doesn't matter, he's got it. So I just want to encourage all of you to, um, to be mindful of that. And it, again, there are other ways to, to tithe, too. Give your time. You know, we do a lot of things in this church. We're small but mighty. If you can't afford to give, then you bring your body and bring your time. So thank you. Pastor Brent's coming up. Thank you, as always, Michelle. Michelle is my sister, in case you didn't know. She is. <clears throat> um, so, by the way, Rochelle, I saw... Um, um, oh, my brain's not working right now. Um, Dr. Charles Montgomery, he's one of the African-American pastors at the Columbus Vineyard, and he was wearing this big Morehouse sweater. Yeah, although I told him you were from Howard, or you support Howard, and he was like, oh. And I was like, what is that? So... So maybe, I don't know if you want to send him some hate mail, I, I don't know. Um, we're, we're doing a series on the book of Titus, I don't, I don't know that I've really preached on Titus before, it's really interesting, and it's, a lot of it has what we might call um, imperative stuff in it, stuff that we're supposed to be doing, and sometimes it's easy to miss the fact that, that all of the stuff that Paul's going to talk about today really doesn't have to do with um, you know, living a certain type of morality to, to get right with God and all that kind of stuff. But it, it actually, in, in, in this in particular, has to do with being missional in the culture that Paul is in. He's saying if you live this way in this culture you are going to reflect the beauty of Jesus to that culture. And so when I put making Jesus attractive, the reason I put that is because actually in one of the verses in here, it says, um, at the, kind of the, towards the very end of it, it says um, in verse 10 of, of, of chapter 2, and I'll, I'll, I'll go through this whole thing in a minute here, but he said, and, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so in every way they will make the teaching, of our, teaching about God our Savior, or teaching about our Savior, attractive. And the word there is, is, is cosmetic, kind of. And, and in a sense, we don't make Jesus attractive. I mean, he is like already, but what we do is we reflect that attractiveness to the world around us by our lives. That our lives become a living testimony to the transforming power and grace of Jesus. And sometimes we become a living testimony by being able to say, hey, 
you know, at work or, or at home by being able to say, hey, I'm sorry I screwed up, that's a living testimony. It doesn't mean that we're perfect all the time or we even try to be perfect. But it means that, that, that we're evidencing that transformed life and it's reflected in the society that we live in and it, and it attracts people. And that the early church was amazing at doing this. The early church, in, in all of the areas around where, where um, the gospel was spreading, there were like huge plagues happening. I mean, really bad plagues going on. And all the rich people would move out of town and they would leave and they would move up into the hills and stuff. And the Christians started coming back into town. And they would start treating people. And they would serve people. And some of them would catch the plague and die. And they, and, and they found areas that were, were very poor. And they would provide food to those poor areas. They would literally sacrifice themselves for the sake of others. And, and the people started going, because the culture was almost the exact reverse of that. You know, the culture was like, well, if you're poor, it's because you deserve it. And you must have done something to get there, so we really shouldn't even help you. It's not even helping you by helping you. And, and so there was this reverse thing going on. And so when Paul's writing what we're looking at today, I want you to do a couple things. One, because this has some, some things in it that are really challenging to, to look at, and we don't understand the culture that Paul's writing in. Um, so I want you to, to look at it with an open heart. But also notice the reason that he, he gives for each of the kind of things that he gives. Let me just read the passage before I preach the whole passage. Um, you, however, and he's writing, in chapter 1 he ended it with just how messed up the culture in, 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 um, Coloss- or in uh, Crete was where, where Paul was preaching. It was, it was like a really messed up culture. I mean, really messed up. You know, it's like there are some cities in the world that are like, you know, you probably don't want to go there. It's not probably safe. You know, it's like it's a, it's pretty messed up. People are really selfish. They're they're just mean spirited. They're, you know, it's it's a little bit like a little bit like Pittsburgh. I think, not sure, but um, had to get that in. Had to get it. Do we have any Pittsburgh fans here? Nobody, nobody will acknowledge it anyway. Everybody's, everybody's sitting there like, I am, but I'm not going to raise my hand in this crowd. I saw, the, I saw them taking stones up in the parking lot to bring in here. Um, so anyway, so he's writing to that, and, and, and he says, you, however, are not like that. You must teach what is appropriate. And he's speaking to Titus, and Titus is to bring this message to the church. So he's... He's an, you know, he's an apostolic ambassador for Paul. Um, he says, teach the older men to be temperate and worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to too much wine. You can be addicted to some wine, but not too much. Um, not really. But, <laughs> excuse me. but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, to be busy at home. And he's not talking about just, you know, women have to stay at home. The, the, the term there actually can mean like to be a good manager, to be a good director, kind of a manager of your household. Um, 
and, and to be kind and, and subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. you get it? Why do we do this? So when no one maligns the message of Jesus that's going out. And in that culture, to be different from what Paul's laying out here, now it's, he's not saying that some of this doesn't need to change, but he's saying his heart, first of all, is missional. It's missional. Secondly, he says, similarly, they encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything to set an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Teach the bond servants, or in some translations, slaves. And, and I'll get into this in a minute too, but slavery in, in New Testament times was different than the sla- slavery. Was, it was bad. It was, you know, it's always bad. But it was different than the slavery that happened here. The, the slavery that happened here was pretty unprecedented in history. Um, it was racially based. It was um, basically a, a kidnapping of a whole... It was almost like a, a weird version of a genocide. So teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try and please them, not to talk back, not to steal from them, but to show they can be fully trusted so that in every way they make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness or to say no to the things that are going to be harmful to us or destroy us. And worldly passions, those things that look really attractive, but ultimately are destructive. And to live self-controlled, just, and the term there sometimes is translated upright, but it means just, and just means just, a justice, a life of justice. Um, I forgot where it was, there we go. Um, Life, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are, very own, are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are things you should teach, encourage, rebuke with all authority, and don't let anyone despise you. So, Father, would you come and would you transfer or translate these words would you come by your spirit lord jesus and bring this message and these words to us and and tell help us to leave here energized and 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 impacted and and may we be more transformed as we leave and may we have more of your heart for those who don't know jesus may we have your heart for a world that's fallen may we have your passion for the poor and the outcast and those who are marginalized May we, may we just live a life. May we be a church that just reflects the glory of God. Amen. And so I want to talk today about how um, the gospel shapes our public life or our home life or our work life. How does the gospel shape that? Because the, the gospel isn't intended to just be something we do on Sunday mornings and then go home and go, yeah, all right, that was nice. I did my duty. I'm done. So the first um, part of this is, is Paul 
is, is talking about you know, making Jesus attractive in a sense. In other words, reflecting to the world what Jesus is really like. In whatever culture you're in or whatever environment you're in, you, you, you model that, you live that out, whether you're working in, in business, uh, you know, you're a, like Sam Bishop used to be a drug rep, um, he, we, but I talked to him about that. I said, Sam, it's, it's you know, selling, you know, pot and, and hash is just not really becoming. So I think he's quit. Have you quit, Sam? Yeah, it's like, yeah, so I'm just kidding. He was a drug rep, though. Um, so not that kind of a drug rep. Um, so anyway, making Jesus attractive. And how, how, how this happens. How does this happen? And Paul, I'm going to start out with one of the last verses, and then go, I'll come back to it. But let me just start out with this, because this is actually Paul's motivation for living the way that we're called to live. And it's really different for him to do this. He puts it at the end, not at the beginning. I'm going to put part of it at the beginning, because it helps clarify the rest of the passage. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And the term appeared means epiphany. Have you ever heard... Some churches, if you grew up in some churches, you have Epiphany Sunday. It's, it means the appearing of God Sunday. And so he said, for the, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation. In other words, Jesus has appeared, and, and in his first appearance, he offers salvation and grace and gives us the power. Grace, grace isn't just forgiveness and you know, pardon and all that. Grace is actually a power that empowers us to live the way we're supposed to. We don't do this on our own. We don't just white knuckle and go, okay, I'm supposed to be nicer to my wife. I'm just going to try harder. No, we go, Lord, I am not being treating my wife the way I should. Would you come into me and through me help me to love her? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, or just and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. And in there, Paul is saying that we, we are a people who are living in the future. You ever, some of you, are, you remember back to the future. You know? They go and they live in the future. And they, they travel to the future and they live in the future. In a very real sense, for the Christian, it's, God divides, Jesus divides the world up into two places. The, 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 the present world, this present age, and the age to come. And in Jesus, that age to come has already came in the person and presence of Jesus. And it's working its way backwards through time into our lives and we, in a very real sense, are people of the coming age who are living in the present world. And we are to be like a light, like a beacon, like, like a shining emerald in a dark world. And we, we are to be people who, who just demonstrate what does it look like for somebody who lives in God's kingdom. And so even though we presently live in this world and we presently live in this body, that if, if you have invited Christ into your life, his resurrection power and his transforming power has already begun to mold and shape you into the person that you're going to be. Does that make sense? I don't want to get too cosmological for you, but 
There's a great, um, great quote by uh, Neil Plantain, or Cornelius Plantania. He says, the return of Christ is good news. And this is the motivation we have. He said, it's good news for people whose lives are filled with bad news. So if your son just died of cancer, if your marriage just dissolved, if you're lonely, if your body is racked with chronic pain, then Jesus is saying to you, lift up your eyes, I'm coming back, and it might be today. And there's reason to hope even in the midst of the darkest valley. As one author put it, the promise of the second coming shows us that the good old days are always ahead of us. Amen? Amen. And, the, and what I'm going, going to go through now um, defines that. And, and in a very real sense, there, what Paul is saying here, there's no condition and no period of life is to remain unaffected by the sanctifying influence of the gospel. In other words, if there's part of our lives that are still not super... Inf- and, and believe me, I have part of my life... If you lived with me, you'd know this, my wife does. You know, there are parts of my life that are not where they're supposed to be yet. But the influence of the transforming power and influence of the gospel, it's working its way into me and hopefully making me look a little bit more like... Do I look a little bit more like Jesus sometimes? You got her on a good day. That's good. Um, so, so the first thing Paul says is that we need to live an unassailable, unassailable life. Now, what does that mean? At the very end of um, verse 5, he says, so that no one will malign the word of God, which means no one will look at you know, the word of God and go, oh, is this what, is this what Christians live like? I, I don't want to be like that. And that can actually be somebody who's trying to be really holy sometimes. I mean, there, when, I was, when God was really grabbing a hold of me to become a Christian, I, there were, as there is now, there were a bunch of Christians that were going off the deep end. There were, you know, it was a time, I think, when Jimmy Swagger was caught doing stuff he shouldn't be doing. And, you know, there's just all kinds of stuff going on. And then there were a lot of pastors that were just so mean from the pulpit. And I thought, man, I don't know I don't want to be like that. And when I actually received Jesus, I felt like God said, you don't, Brent, you don't have to be like that. I don't even want you to be like that. Be who you are. But he says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach what is appropriate. In other words, live out your doctrine. Live out what you believe. Belief is really important. But belief that doesn't transform it doesn't really have any value. It's like doing something, like Paul says, without love, these things don't have value. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-worthy of respect, not just saying, hey, I'm old, you have to respect me. Our society is pretty bad with how we treat our aged, isn't it? I felt like the whole time when my, mom, when my dad got Alzheimer's or dementia and my mom was really sick, I just, you know what God imparted on my heart? He just kept telling me, Brent, honor your father and mother. And it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. We took Therese and I, my sister in Minnesota, and Therese and I took turns for, I don't know, 10 years or 12 years or something, taking care of our parents. And it was a joy. And there did come a time when, we, when they had to go into assisted living because we both had jobs and we couldn't afford 
to stay home all the time, and they needed more care than we could give. But even then, we, we, we had started looking like years before for a place that would be really good, and we found a place that was run by Presbyterian homes. But, but we need to honor, and it says, older men, you need to, to earn that. You need to be sound in faith, in love, and in endurance, in hope need to be hopeful for people. We, we, I hope that I don't go around and go, you know, as, as my body's kind of falling apart and things are happening, I don't want to go around saying, um, yeah, life's, life's a blank and then you die, you know? Because I don't believe that. I believe as, we, as, we, as our bodies begin deteriorating more and more and as we begin failing more and more in this body, we cling on more and more to the reality that, okay, Jesus, you said that there is a kingdom that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, that is so wonderful and so beautiful. And we keep our eyes fixed on that. And it's interesting in this, that a life... Live an un, unassailable life. It's the same. These are the same requirements Paul is giving for pastors and for deacons and for apostles. He, he's giving those to everybody. Because guess what? We're all we're all priests in the kingdom, right? We're all priests. And so the reason Paul is laying this out, just like he did with the teachers and elders, is because he's going this. This lifestyle, it, there isn't like two tiers like, well, there's the pastor. He has to live like really holy lives. But, you know, we're parishioners. We can pretty much, you know. It's like, and, and the weird thing about, it, you know, living outside the, the parameters of God's will is it isn't like, you know, like God's some old moralist in heaven going, yeah, I made up these rules and then I made people to follow them and the people aren't. You know, it's, it's like... To me, it's more and more, it's like God has told me what is good. And everything, even his law, the, the, the law of the Lord is good, restoring the soul. Everything that God has for us and tells us not to do or to do is for our benefit. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you trust that? You know what the original sin was? It was Adam and Eve not trusting that God had his, their best interest in mind. I had somebody in church once who, who said, you know, I really want to follow Jesus, but I really want to go out and have fun. And I said, if you really want to have fun, you should just follow Jesus. I said, don't follow religion. Don't follow some church ideas and stuff. But man, it's good. It's good. Is it good? Pat even said amen. I'm like, Wow. We need to live a mission of life. The reason Paul's writing all this stuff isn't so much as he's laying out a moral code for the church or even a family code for the church. He's, he says this. He says, though I am, and this isn't in that passage, but it's in, in um, 1 Corinthians 9. He says, though I am free and belong to no one. In other words, Paul knows in Christ he's free. He said, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. In other words, Paul has used his advantage. He, he sacrificed his advantage or sacrificed his rights for the sake of others. 
He's been willing to take the position because he was a he was a Jewish male in a culture that just honored and respected Jewish males who were taught in you know a certain way. And Paul says, you know what? I'm putting that behind me, and I count it as nothing for the sake of serving Jesus. And I'm doing this so I can benefit other people. Sometimes over, you know, kind of with the national debate. <clears throat> On, on race and stuff like that. I, I, I recognized a long time ago that, um, you know, that growing up where I grew up and with, in the environment I grew up in, in a, in a very white sub, suburb and all that kind of stuff, I had certain advantages over a lot of different people, a lot of African-American people, a lot of Native American people. And I didn't know I had advantages. I just, once I got older, I realized, oh, you didn't, you, you didn't, you know, have water in your swimming pool at school? No, they, they couldn't afford it, you know. Or later on, it was like, you didn't, you didn't have computers in school. We I, we didn't have computers in school either, but it's just because I'm old. Um, but no, and 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 so what Paul is saying is that we we take that we don't get into some big debate about you know privilege and all that stuff. But what he's saying is, I'm taking my privilege and I'm putting it. I'm using it for the benefit of those who don't have that. Does that make sense? Though I am free and belong to no one, I made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law. Though myself am not under the law, so to win those under the law. To those not having a law, I became like one not having a law. So as to win those not having a law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I've become all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. I, I, I want us to have that passion. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save them. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And one of my calls to Jim and Denise as they, in the next two years, we're kind of rolling out a transition, is that the one thing that I would just commission you with is that you, when, when your passion starts waning to see people come to know Jesus, you would just say, Jesus, come and give me that passion. Our national director was talking about he had, he had got he had became a Christian through um, some, some Bible school camp he had gone to the school and and um, there, there was some little Christian kid there that he really didn't like and stuff like that. Well, this little Christian kid was going to a Baptist Bible camp. So at the Bible Baptist Bible camp, they said, "We want you to write a name of somebody who you think is the least person to find Jesus." And this guy wrote wrote our national director's name down, which is really funny. So he writes it down, you know, and this is before he's, obviously before he's national director. His name is Jay, Jay Pathak is our national director. And so they, they start picking out names, and, and up front they said, okay, we're going to, you know, you can all pray for everyone you wrote down, but we're going to pick out as a group, like whatever, 20 people that we're going to pray for. And so Jay Pathak's one of those names. Well, guess what happened? Lo and behold, Bit by bit, Jay Pathak began being introduced to Christ to the point where one night he said he was he was reading the book of Romans and he got to this Romans eight where the the I, the very things I don't want to do I do and the things I don't 
do I don't want to do and dooby dooby do and you know all that stuff. Um, and he said suddenly that the pre- he didn't know what it was, but he said the whole room it was like it filled up with jello, and he said he felt like he was breathing jello, and he said that lasted almost all night. And he went back and told his Baptist friend, and his Baptist friend says, "Don't tell anybody else. You've become a charismatic. You know, it's like, like don't, don't go there." But, um, but anyway, that so you know, part of what I've been trying to do, and Teresa and I've been in our small group actually did. We we once one one of our meetings, we decided we're going to start praying for some specific people that they might come to know the goodness and kindness of our Savior, and so. The, the, the whole point of all these things that Paul's laying out in the family, because he goes through every aspect of the family. He's talking about older men, older women, young, young women, young men, servants of the house. He says, uh, the third, third thing he says, he says, um, live a life of integrity. Similarly, encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything to set an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may not be ashamed, may be ashamed when you, they have nothing to, bad to say about us. You know, one of the best ways you can live out your, your, your faith in our society is to be a person of integrity. A person of integrity that people go, yeah, they're, they're a person of their word. They said this. And they're going to do it. I was, I was a little... I, actually, I wasn't really super tempted. And I'm not a young man anymore either. But anyway, I, I, I sold one of my cars recently. And I realized as soon as I, as soon as I um, put it out, out there that my price was really low. Because the first probably hour and a half, I got almost 100 offered. I mean, people were offering to drive in from other states to get it. And somebody actually did. And so I'm like... Teresa was telling me the whole time, I think that's kind of low. And I'm like, no, no, no. You know, it's a, Father knows best. You know, it's like I said, not really. But anyway, you know, but integrity just said, no, this is what you put down. And this is what you're, you're going to charge. There's a really cool story. There's a, there's a story in a, somebody was writing about, and they were talking about in Mexico, um, Alba Esther Gordillo was the, this is in 2013, she was charged with embezzling. She was in charge of the school system in Mexico. And she absconded and, and gave away almost a billion dollars in kids' school money. And, and it was like the epitome of not integrity. But then there was another man who was, who was working on a, I think it was an NGO, um, in Haiti, and he started taking not only that money, but all of even some of his money, and started diverting it into, or moving it into ways to help educate, to help start working towards um, healing the, this horrible system that's developed in Haiti for for poverty. And he was somebody who was just this person of integrity who said, you know what, I want to make a change in this world. And he tells, the last thing Paul tells, the last group of people he talks about is um, 
bond servants or in his culture, slaves. Now, we don't understand. We kind of gloss over the whole slavery thing in the New Testament. But their whole culture, not just Rome, but all the cultures were built on massive amounts of slaves. And the slaves weren't, like I said, it wasn't just a certain racial group that had been taken from another country. Uh, sometimes there were people that were um, uh, from countries that, that Rome had gone to war against, and they would take some of the people as their slaves. Sometimes it was bond servants who just had a big debt to pay, and they would be like, okay, I'll work my debt off for you. I'll serve you that way. And sometimes there was just being born into that system. Um, when some, one of my Indian, Indian friends um, came here one day and wanted to help do some stuff, and so I was going to have him um, paint the, the garage, what, what we call a garage. Um, it's not really a garage. It's kind of a, it's, a it, it's actually a whole bunch of pieces of wood held together by mass quantities of paint and prayer. Um, so, but we call it a garage. So he's going to paint the garage. So he's like, <laughs> and I said, have you ever painted before? And he's like, no, we have servants do that. Don't you have servants that do that? I go, oh yeah, we do. That you, you and me, we're the, we're the servants that are going to do this. And so I taught him how to paint. And where he was from in India, it was really normal to have servants. They just had servants. And you, you look at that and go, well, they weren't like this slave. And that, yeah, they kind of were. They didn't get paid anything. They were treated really poorly. They, were, they didn't have a chance to come up in the culture. So Paul's not saying that's okay. Later on in other scriptures, he, he, Paul is the one who actually, actually paves the way out of the slave systems. He says, in Christ, there's neither nor Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And the gospel is a power that begins to transform societies. But Paul realized the way to transform the society in this case was not going to be to, to stage a mass protest. Sometimes it is. To, like Dr. King in our country, some, somebody had to do something and it needed to be powerful and prophetic. In this, Paul says it doesn't have to be. In this, in some ways, this relates a little bit. It probably, in the sense that it's different from slavery in our culture, it probably would have been, a, to a certain extent, about your like for some of you, like your jobs, where sometimes you treat your boss as just a jerk, your coworkers are jerks. It's hard to work, and Paul says. How should I, you know, the people that we're working, say, how are we supposed to deal with this? With just people who are jerks. And Paul says, well, don't, don't talk back. What he means by that is don't, don't do eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Don't fall into, don't, don't put yourself down in their level. Rise above. Rise above. That's what Dr. King was trying to say, you know? When somebody, when somebody gives you hate, give them love back. When somebody disses you, bless them. Jesus said that. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who misuse you. 
He's not saying we should be doormats. He's not saying we shouldn't report abuse. He's not saying we shouldn't try and change systems that are horrible because one day they will be changed. And how do we do this? For the grace of God appeared to us, offers salvation to all people. Do you know that the, the message of Jesus, the grace of God, has come and it has offered salvation to all. There may be somebody here today who really doesn't know. Maybe you've even been coming for a while. What that means, salvation, or what does this mean to be saved? or What, it, what are you talking about? There's a God who came and died for us and offers new life, who, who loves us so much that he offers new life to every one of us here today. And that new life teaches us to say no to things that are ungodliness and worldly passions, things that destroy us. God comes to take our... We're we're living lives upside down, and God comes to put our lives right side up. That's what the gospel is. It puts our lives right side up. While we wait, and, and, and we live that way, and we're empowered by the grace of God, for the grace of God appeared to do that, to give us the power to live a transformed life, to give us the power to be a light in whatever... And again, there wasn't any part of the home life or even the work life that is immune from this for a follower of Jesus. Just because you work at a place where your boss is a jerk and it's terrible doesn't mean you get to act the same way. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing in the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the wickedness and to purify us from self of people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These things are things you should do and teach. teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright. And again, there's that term, justice, just lives. J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings, when he was getting towards the end of it, he, he just hit a place where he was, blo- he had just brain block. You know, and he couldn't. He just didn't know where to go. I don't. I don't know what place it was in Lord of the Rings. But in that process, he wrote this book, and it was called Leaf by Niggle, N-I-G-G-L-E or E-L. And Niggle was this this small little man who lived in this town, and he was an artist. And and Niggle had this this picture in his mind of this beautiful tree. This tree that was just beyond anything that anybody could even comprehend. In his whole life, he was trying to paint it, but all the further he ever got was, was a leaf. And then he would get a call from the neighbor. Hey, my wife's really sick. Could you, go, could you go get the doctor? And he'd go get the doctor. Or, hey, hey, Niggle, um, I need, really need help with this. And then finally, kind of at the very end, is, there's this, this very leaf 
this leaf thing here. And, and Nagel kept talking about this journey he was dreading going on, but he knew he had to. And he was talking about death. And it was right before this, this carriage or the train comes to take him, take him away um, that, that another person comes and says, Hey, Nagel, your neighbor's house is leaking and it's killing them. And Nagel goes, I don't have anything to fix it. And the person said, well, what about that, that big canvas you have right there? And it was his leaf. And his whole life he had spent painting this leaf. And he, he never got any further. And people would come by and look at it and go, really? You've been working on this for 10 years? And so Nagel gives his leaf up and then and then he's taken away and he's taken into God's kingdom. And while he's on his tree on this train, moving kind of into heaven, it stops and he and it, and drops him off in this place and he's walking and he sees his tree. And his tree is not just the tree is, is, is what he had always imagined. It was, it was this beautiful life. It was this powerful life. It was this beautiful image that just, that just brightened up the, the whole landscape. And what J.R. Tolkien was trying to communicate and what I think God wants to communicate to us is that some of us, our whole lives, we, we might spend working on a leaf that we, we feel like... <laughs> I have this passion. I have this passion for Cleveland. I have this passion for seeing, you know, all the nations come and worship together. And we see some of that. We see a leaf of that. I have a passion where people would really understand who Jesus is and would really understand the justice and the mercy of God. And I've seen a little bit of that. And what what the coming of Jesus does. It gives us a blessed hope that one day all those things that we've suffered and that our bodies are paying for and that we, we work for, one day all of those things will be accomplished. And that's good news. So, Father... I know in my life there's just a lot that as I've gotten older I've gotten I've got the grumpy old man syndrome and I don't want to have that so so change me Lord and I know there are people here who are struggling and they're just different areas I feel like there's some people especially at work there's some things at work that you you just go into this mode you get triggered by somebody else and it just turns really sour really quick and even at home, too, there's dynamics and systems with your spouse or with your kids. And, and, and I just pray, and I pray for some of the, like I said, older women, that you would see yourselves as a treasure and a mentor to the younger women in our church. And for the men, the same thing. Lord, would you come and make us, make, make this leaf into the tree that you meant it to be, mean it to be. May 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 our eyes see that, Lord. Amen. And may you bless Kaylee as she goes through this.
May we, may we see a new, cool, young little person that um, can be a, a, a vibrant member of your kingdom. Amen. So quit resisting, Kaylee. Just let it go. <clears throat>